All right, so we're going to look at Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the gift that it is to be together and united. Um, Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be a part of your work. Father, we confess that we are so easily distracted um, by ourselves, but we ask to hear you. We want to know you. We want to hear your truth. So we pray that you would speak that truth right now. God, please use um, my mouth and the words coming out of that to speak your truth, that we would know you more as a result of being here. Um, and we thank you that we can pray this to you because of the life we have in Jesus. Amen. All right, so there's a lot of you who are visiting here this week. Um, for those of you who don't know, I am Noel. I'm a, a member here at Restoration Project. Um, we're doing things a little bit differently here. Um, we're continuing. This is week four on our series on justice. Um, and, and typically, we're going through a, a book of the Bible and looking at a, a section and going pretty deep into the, the significance, the understanding, diving into that specific text. This week, I'm going a little bit less deep and more wide, um, and, and you'll kind of catch on why in, in, in a second here. Um, but you'll, you'll see that we're going, we're, we're covering a lot of ground, um, so we won't get as deep into it, but I think we're, we're coming up with a good sort of framework from which we can approach our concept and our understanding of justice. Um, so... This is a building at my undergrad institution. I went to a small school in New York State that none of you have ever heard of called Houghton College. If you've heard of it, I'm thoroughly impressed. There's more cows than people in the town. Um, So it was a small school. And at small schools, um, you kind of, you may not know everybody by name, but you kind of start to recognize at least a lot of people. Uh, And so there's people that I had as friends, people that I had as acquaintances, and then there was just the other people that were somewhere else kind of on campus that I knew to recognize. For those of you who are like students at SU, maybe you've seen uh, Blonde Dreadlock Beach Cruiser Guy or um, Tiger Backpack Girl. You know, like there's people that you're like, oh, I I just kind of see them occasionally, I know who they are. So at my school we had um, Jesus Guy because he looked like Jesus with the long hair and the beard. there was no shoes guy. Um, there was Cape Girl. Uh, it was really exciting when Cape Girl and Jesus guy started dating. Um, and there was one guy who was Spaghetti Tray guy. And Spaghetti Tray guy had this sort of ret- reputation because he would come into the dining commons or the dining hall, grab a cafeteria tray, grab knife, fork, cups, all the usual stuff, but no plate. Which, and when you really think about it, the, the, the tray goes through the same industrial dishwasher that everything else does. So it's clean, like it makes sense, it's hygienic. But just our social norms would say you would put your food on a plate. He decided to forego that. So no plate, grabs his food, and he loves spaghetti. And so all the time, he would just throw spaghetti and sauce right on the cafeteria tray. And you just see him all the time, like just cafeteria tray, spaghetti sauce. Um, I worked at the campus store in college, which was 
this one store in this small setting. So if you wanted to buy something, you were probably gonna come through that store. So if you wanted a pen, a pack of gum, a dr anything, like you're coming through that store. And so one time spaghetti tray guy was coming through and I was striking up a conversation with him and he was buying a kid's book. And so I was asking him like, oh, so are you buying this book for, you know, like a little nephew or a niece or a sibling? He's like, no, I'm buying this for me. I'm like, really? Do you read children's books a lot? And he said something that just struck me so profoundly that I'm sharing it almost a decade and a half later. And he said, sometimes the simplest truths are the hardest to grasp. And this is something that I think a lot of us probably get and understand, but it's sometimes easy for us to blow over these very like simple truths. And so what we're talking about today isn't anything bizarre or foreign that you haven't heard before, but trying to flesh out some of these different ideas. And we're talking about a very simple truth. Some of you, if you grew up going to church, if you spent time in Sunday school, have maybe seen something like this. So it's the acronym JOY, right? So Jesus, others, yourself. The idea being in, in having joy, it comes from putting Jesus first in your life, having, putting others second, and then yourself. This is what we're looking at. This is it, right? It's nothing deeply mysterious or mystical. It is very simple and incredibly hard for us to grasp. And so you can, you, some of us have seen this banner before, have seen concepts like this. For $80, you can buy this specific banner that measures six feet high in height, so it's a little bit taller than this shadowy woman wearing stilettos. Um, and, and you might ask, okay, so what does this have to do with, with justice? We're looking at this series of justice, so what does this acronym of justice, or acronym of joy have to do with justice? And over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at verses and texts in Scripture where God has called his people to justice. So looking at Scripture like Isaiah 58. They come to the temple every day and, they, and seem delighted to learn about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you even impressed? Why have you been very hard on ourselves? And you don't even notice it. I will tell you why, I respond. It is because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. Why, what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble, your, humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned, Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. So this is, this is God speaking to his people in, in Isaiah 58 saying, this is the kind of religious practice I want. This is what I want. We've seen this quote before, Martin Luther King said, any religion that professes to be concerned with the souls of men and is not concerned with the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social conditions that cripple them is a dry-as-dust religion. 
that in many, many settings and situations, it's very easy for us to put on a, a good sort of religious show that we can wear our religiosity on our sleeves and, and act in a way that is fitting with a manner that we think is religious. But is that how God wants us to act? Or is it dry as bones or dry as dust? And so we're looking here at, at Mark 12 that we looked at just a, a second ago. So Jesus says... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And so this sort of sets up that framework of Jesus, others, and ourselves. That we can, in, in pursuing God, loving others becomes an overflow from that. And much of our, our culture and society and environment would say, okay, well, no, you need to look out for yourself, right? You need to look out for number one. Um, then you can take care of others, and we kind of fit Jesus in where it's convenient, right? And, and Christ flips that on its head, and he says, no, this, this is the order. And the, the issue with that is there's, there's lots of people who do lots of great things and caring about people and being considerate and being involved in great projects, but there's, there's a couple of issues with that. Um, one is that we, we are finite people. Left to our own devices, we have limited mental, emotional, physical resources. We, we burn out. We are not... We do not have an, an infinite wealth of, of love and capacity to, to love other people. Um, numerous weeks ago, Josh was talking, and he kind of talked about this idea that if God's not in it, it's useless, that sometimes we can make efforts to love other people. But again, if, it's, um, if God is not at the center of it, we, we, we reduce the, the efforts um, to, to sometimes being selfish, and I'll get to that in a second here. And in Romans 8, verse 26, it talks about the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. That in loving other people, if we're loving Christ first, if we're loving God first, and that love becomes an, an overflow into loving other people, um, then it's not something that we're doing on our own strength, that we're just trying to be a nice guy and help people out. It's something that we can do because of the love of God. So the second issue is pride, that a lot of times we can do things for other people and be nice people, and people start to recognize that, or we start to feel like, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, you know, I'm great at doing all these different aspects, and maybe I'm doing that because of the praise or the affirmation that I get, or maybe I'm doing that because of um, the recognition or how I feel. Um, so Matthew 6 says, watch out. Don't do good deeds publicly to be admired by others for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in, their synagogue, in the synagogue and streets to call attention to the, their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And Richard Foster in the, the Freedom of Simplicity wrote, let us seek to live in compassion and patience with one another. Grace and latitude should mark our relationships. All too often our speech can injure each other unduly in our zeal for justice and truth and righteousness. The spirit of condemnation can creep into our relationships terribly subtly. 
We can begin to look at each other's possessions with a mental calculator. But there is a more excellent way. We simply need to be with one another, loving, supporting, caring. Of course, we live out the truth as it has been given to us. But the business of straightening each other out belongs to God, not us. And so we're just going to run through this this framework for how we can love others, how we can pursue God and how we can pursue justice. So looking first as, at Jesus as that. Uh, Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And it's, it's interesting because I think I've been realizing um, Mary and I just, we got married a little over a month ago, and the time and effort that goes into planning a wedding and then getting situated in a new home. And we're moving, and so thinking about where are we gonna be living, and what is our place gonna be looking like, and how can we make it look better? And now we're two, I've become one, and how do we take care of our finances? And looking at, I'm a sucker for a deal or a bargain, and so I like to research and find out, well, if if you sign up for that, that account, you get a bonus of this. So maybe we should move all of our finances into this account. And how quickly my thoughts can so easily be directed to my kingdom and what is going on in my life and my world and all the details and the to-dos. And I start to seek my kingdom very easily. And Jesus is calling us to seek the kingdom of God above any, everything else and then move from there. And I think this is especially important in terms of how we do um, pursue loving people and justice, that it's not just, hey, we've got these great thoughts and things, and if they're coming from God, that's terrific. But sometimes we can just do things because we want to do them. Um, Soren Kierkegaard wrote, what kind of striving is it of which it can be said that it seeks or desires the kingdom of God? Ought I to get a position corresponding to my abilities and powers in order to bring this about? No, you are first to seek the kingdom of God. Ought I then to give all my fortune to the poor? No, you are first to seek the kingdom of God. But does this then mean that in a sense there is nothing for me to do? Quite right. There is in a sense nothing. In the very deepest sense, you're to make yourself nothing, to become nothing before God and learn to keep silent. And it is in this silence that you begin to seek what must come first, the kingdom of God. And so it it leaves us kind of asking some questions that uh, are not sort of a a condemnation, but maybe a mental check and that can allow us the opportunities to realize the the freedom that comes with seeking God first. So asking, do we pursue God first? Um, How is that reflected in our lives? That do do we have time to listen to God? Do we have the opportunities and to listen and to hear God's voice over the course of our day, or do we just rush from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and our either faces in our phones or something in our ears, or rushing, or do we have time in our day where we actually listen to God? Do we worship God? Um, there's been a time in my life where I've, I've kind of prayed, help me to worship you, Lord. Um, and I think that can be a great prayer, But I think sometimes we need to stop asking God to help us to worship him, and we need to just do it, and we need to worship him, and recognize, man, as we are walking through our day, thanking God for the things that are put in front of us, thanking God for the opportunities that we have, um, that just being content with the life that we have and 
simple things are opportunities to worship God, that we can, we can do this in small ways, and that has a, a transformative attitude on, on who we are and our own attitudes. So look in Jesus, others, yourself. So that was Jesus. So looking at others. And there's three main sort of areas that we want to look at in terms of looking at others. So others in the way, others on the way, and others out of the way. Right? So first off, looking at others in the way. You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I don't really have many people I would consider my enemies. Um, to my knowledge, nobody is trying to kill me. Uh, nobody is trying to ruin my life. Nobody is out to like, destroy my life or the lives of my family. I'm, I'm pretty happy in this enemy-free existence. The last time I had any sort of significant enemies might have been these guys, for those of you who were not boys in the mm, late 80s. Um, this is the evil forces of Cobra. Um, whom G.I. Joe was fighting against. These guys are enemies. I, I don't have a lot of enemies. A lot of the people that um, Jesus was speaking to at that time, uh, both his followers at that time and the early church, they had very real enemies. They had people who wanted to burn them at the stake. They had people who wanted to feed them to lions. They had very real um, flesh and blood um, enemies and threats to their life consistently. The worst I have is people that, that annoy me or get in my way or are obnoxious to me. Um, this past week, I had a box of clothes from a student that I left behind, and I was going to do this great, wonderful thing and drop it off at a thrift store. Um, and, you know, the thrift store could then sell it to people in the community, and they could use that money to benefit the community. I felt great about this. And I knew they closed at 6 o'clock. And so we were there before 6 o'clock. We were there at 5.57. And the door was closed. And I could see the people inside. And the woman's like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, no, no. Look. And I pulled out my phone because I realized, you know, phone Verizon does not lie when it comes to time. And I'm like, no, it is 5.57. It is not, you are not closed yet. And she's like, no, no, no. And so she comes up to the glass and I can't hear her, but she's mouthing words to me to tell me to come tomorrow. I'm like, but you're open right now. And I could feel my heart kind of like get a little bit heated and because I'm like, because that changes my whole schedule. And I was going to drop this off and then I was going to do this. I, I don't have time tomorrow to come. I haven't budgeted that. So uh, this woman was just doing her job, but it was getting in the way of what I wanted to do. And I did not have tremendous love for this woman at this moment in time. Like that was not my first reaction. And she's not my enemy. She's not trying to kill me. She just wants to go home at six o'clock. She just doesn't want some guy with a big box of clothes that are falling apart to like come make her stay late. And, and my, what is my attitude to people who are enemies, are people who are being obnoxious to me, to coworkers, to people that just don't give me what I want? Um, and there's a great prayer from Greg Boyd that, that sort of looks at this, and this is very useful for people that you love and that are wonderful in your life, and this is very useful for people who are obnoxious and in your way. It says, Lord Jesus, I agree with you that this person has unsurpassable worth because she or he has been created in your image and you died for her or him. 
I now pray your blessing on his, her life in your name. Amen. That what would it look like for us in, in situations and in interactions where people are being cruel, mean, hard on us or just not giving us what we want? What would it look like to realize and recognize these people are made in the image of God and are loved by him? And I recognize that and I want to, to give you the same value that our Lord God has given you. So others in the way, others on the way. Leviticus 23, 22 says, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. So what he's pretty much saying is do what you would normally do, but do it differently. The, the, the practical thing, if you're harvesting a field, the practical thing is to, well, to get all of it, right? Because that's going to yield the most profits, that's going to yield the best crop, that's going to yield the best food for your family. Like, this is the good practical thing to do. But it really depends on what our definition of practical is and what is our framework of practical. Because if, if serving ourselves is First and foremost, then yeah, that is the, absolutely the most practical thing. But if we're looking to serve Jesus, if we're looking to serve other people, well then leaving crops on the edge and not picking up things that drop so that people who aren't as fortunate could have those food to eat, well then that, that becomes a very practical thing to do. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I think I'm still asking questions of what that looks like for me, of how do I do the things that I would do normally anyways, but do it to put other people and to put Christ first. Um, and maybe that means, you know, not walking around somebody who I think kind of looks a little rough around the edges, but saying, like, asking them, saying hey and asking them how they're doing. Um, some of us were in a small group and we looked at the, uh, the book uh, You and Me Forever by Francis and Lisa Chan. And I think Lisa Chan gave the example of taking your kids to the park. And instead of, you know, just taking your kids to the park, Maybe invite somebody to go with you as you take your kids to the park. And maybe there's, you know, another family with kids in it who are disconnected who can go to the park. Maybe there's a, an older person who is at their home alone all the time who would be in, love to go to the park with you with their kids. What, so you're not doing anything drastically different, but it's just doing it with a very different motivation and, and perspective and priority that changes what looks like as practical. And it's worth sort of pausing at this for a second and asking, what are my views of other people? And do sometimes my views of other people that we look to love, do, do my views in some ways diminish their value? Um, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul, uh, Paul writes and says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of, your, as, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And this is consistently a very real challenge for me that I think sometimes in some situations I can view people as less and more needy and more, um, more in need of you know, my great presence or my opportunity to share their love. Um, Donald Miller wrote a book, Blue Like Jazz, and he gives a story of being in line at a grocery store and being behind a woman who is paying with food stamps. 
And then she, he saw her paying with the food stamp. She kind of saw him looking at her. The cashier was there and saw this in her. And so there's this sort of awkward moment where all three are kind of aware that there's this observation happening. And then the transaction happens and she goes on her way. And he writes, I realized it was not the woman who should be pitied. It was me. Somehow I had come to believe that because a person is in need, they're candidates for sympathy, not just charity. It was not that I wanted to buy her groceries. The government was already doing that. I wanted to buy her dignity. And yet by judging her, I was the one taking away her dignity. Uh, Last week, Josh mentioned that maybe in some ways we are the ones who are perpetuators of injustice. Um, and that's an unsettling, hard thing to, to wrestle with, that are my actions, are my thoughts, are my um, interactions with somebody reducing their value as a, as a person. And sometimes in, in how we view people, we can, with the very best intentions, do that. That, oh, okay, well, this person is this, so therefore they are this. So, you know, we can see it internationally. Oh, well, this, this person's from Africa. So, well, they, they must have Ebola and AIDS. And we, like, we diminish people beyond like human beings who are loved by God. And we can do this like locally in so many different areas of, well, okay, well, this person's poor, so they're this. Or this person's rich, so they're this. Well, this person is black or white or Hispanic or Asian or whatever. Or, or religious systems or gender. Well, this person's a woman, so they probably shouldn't be in the sciences. Or, you know, this person is, is gay, so obviously, you know, this, that do we reduce people as less than made in God's image? Do we not recognize that, that people are loved by God? And so how do our own interactions with people um, that maybe with the very best of intentions, we we don't show love, but show pity or, or, or taking dignity from people in those sorts of interactions. We have the opportunity to treat all people as loved by the almighty king of the universe. That we have received the love of God and we have the opportunity to share that. And, and that is not... Um, an application, that's an, that's an opportunity. So we looked at others in the way, others on the way, and others out of the way. James 1 says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I don't know what your social spheres are in a normal sort of situation, there's probably not tons of people who are, or not tons of orphans and widows that we interact with. There are, and in, in terms of who James was writing to in this setting, this was um, probably also true because these are the people who don't, who had kind of been overlooked by that society. If they were a widow in that society, their social standing had been cut off, their, their source of income had been cut off, their, their, they were basically sort of left to, in many situations, socially, maybe financially, maybe physically, kind of die, that they, they were cut off from that sort of social sphere. 
And so these aren't the people that you would necessarily interact with on a day-to-day basis. Um, These are the people who are not the the powerful and the exciting people that you want to spend time with. These were people who were um, overlooked by the setting and the culture and the environment that was there. And so we have opportunities to similarly care, just give a rip about people who may, be, who may be overlooked by our culture, by our social setting. And I think sometimes we can hear numbers and it's easy to kind of glaze over them. Um, Josh mentioned, depending on your, your estimates, um, somewhere between 20 to 40 million people are in some sort of slavery, whether that's um, sex trafficking, whether that's um, child soldiers, child labor, forced labor, um, that perhaps there's things that we are easily able to turn a blind eye to, that these are people who are, have no rights and no opportunities and are just trapped. Um, it's estimated that there are more people in slavery right now than any other time period in human history. It's estimated that there are about 2.2 million children forced into sex trade every year. And we, we don't share this, like, this haunting information to make people feel guilty about your life. Because sometimes we can just like, okay, well, we'll write a check or we'll do something and then we'll get over it. And the, the desire is not to make people feel guilty. But maybe there's pieces of that that should make us uncomfortable. Um, we love comfort in this culture. That's a huge value that we do things many times that will provide the most comfort. Um, and I heard somebody say at one point that the gospel um, dis- or, uh, comforts the disturbed and disturbs the comfor- comfortable. Maybe there's areas where perhaps it's easier and l- more comfortable to not look at these sorts of opportunities that we have as a calling to to love people and, and stand for them and stand with the oppressed. A few weeks ago, when we were looking at Mark chapter 5, there's the story of uh, Jesus gets off the boat. There's the man with the, the legion of demons inside of him. Jesus casts the, the demons out into the pigs. The pigs go running off the cliff. The people then, um, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the, demon, by the legion of demons sitting there, d- dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and they told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their their region. And I hear that, and I, I I don't really fault them, because that's a crazy thing to have happen. And I would think, man, that's kind of weird. Like, Jesus, maybe it would be better if you weren't here. Like, we don't really do that kind of thing in this neighborhood here. That's not really something we do here. But it's, it's really them in many ways saying they would have their comfort. They would rather have this guy possessed with demons, but at least they could put him off to the ed- edges and keep him out of their community. They would rather have him there uh, possessed by demons than have God there working in, the, in their community and have this guy being reacclimated or <laughs> accepted into that community. And so in times, it makes me wonder, would, would I rather have the work of God or comfort? Would I be, 
Would, would I rather see God work in crazy ways, and maybe some big, maybe some small, maybe some not even obvious, or would I rather have my own comfort on a day-to-day level that things work and move how I would expect them to? So Jesus, others, and then looking at ourselves. And this is where we kind of fit into this equation. So John chapter 3 says, uh, uh, John the Baptist says, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less. And again, this is, this is an opportunity that we have, that we have been given life through Jesus Christ, that through his death, through his resurrection, we are called his children, that we have been adopted into his family, that we have not just regular old day in, day out life, we have abundant life. And that is an opportunity. And that is, that is there's a freedom that comes with that. And there is, there's three enemies that we sort of have consistently that fight us, that tell us, no, 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 we're, we're the most important. We need to care about ourselves. We need to care about our bank accounts. We need to care about our to-do list. We need to care about our plans. We need to care about our schedules. We need to care about our, the number of likes or retweets or whatever in social media that these are the most important things. And we have ourselves, like our own just sort of fleshly desires. We have the world, sort of culture and society around us that values things differently. And we have the devil that all three sort of are, are coming at us. And th- those are our enemies in many ways, in, in definite ways, that can de- distract us from that opportunity to love God and love others and put our, want to put ourselves as the first thing. But there is a freedom that comes when we're able to put those things aside. And there's a freedom that comes when we're able to view ourselves as less and less and less. And there's a freedom that comes when we're able to view Jesus as more and more and more. And so it it allows us on a pragmatic level to ask, how do I spend my time? Um, What do I I fill my thoughts with? Um, Are my thoughts filled with my plans and my um, details and my task? Are my conversations filled with these sorts of things? Or are my thoughts filled with opportunities to love God and love other people? And this, this is where that very simple, very simple breakdown becomes so incredibly hard. Because consistently, that is a battle for what is taking priority in our lives. Looking at how do we spend our money, um, last week, Jack just talked about, you know, what, what are the things that we spend our money on? We've got a lot of money in this part of the world. We've got a lot of wealth in this part of the world. It may not feel like it, but if we're sitting here, you know, we've, we're pretty wealthy. Um, and so we have opportunities. And what do we do? I mentioned we're looking at different options for putting money together. And any bank website you look at, pretty much everyone, it ta- there's like a little category that says like wealth management. Like it's not even hiding the fact that we're rich. Like it, it's just right there front and center. Like how do you manage your wealth? And that's like wise financial sound advice. Like how do we manage our wealth? Um, and that is, and Jesus very clearly talks about, you know, being harder for a wealthy person to get into heaven than a camel to get through an eye of a needle. Um, so how do we spend our money? What are our priorities there? Um, and then another sort of practical response is to pray. Um, I already mentioned, like, we have time during our day. 
What would it look like if we just thank God for things, if we told him the things we're concerned about, that we prayed for people that were really annoying us and that we didn't want to see how great things happen to? But what if we prayed for great things to happen to those people? Um, what would that look like? I, on the, the, the human trafficking thing, one, one organization, I'm, there's an organization called International Justice Mission. And I think just even looking at things going on and around our world, instead of just sort of saying, oh, that stinks, and then turning a blind eye to it, maybe there's opportunities for us to do a little bit of digging and, and asking questions about what's going on. Um, IJM has some neat resources. You can also sign up just to get like a weekly newsletter for what they're doing. They're one organization. Um, there's lots of great organizations out there, but that's one place if you're looking to get a little bit more information, that could be a neat opportunity. And so we're, we come back to this, this, this opportunity for joy. Um, and there is a, again, there's a freedom and a life and the, the byproduct being joy. Um, uh, Harvey Carey, who's a, a pastor in Detroit, tells a story of like, if you go to a sporting event, right, you pay big money to go get like nice seats at a sporting event. And it's like, we're getting, the fall is coming closer, so we'll say it's football, right? So college football, pro football, you pay like big bucks and the team comes out on the field, they huddle and 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 they're there for an hour and the ref blows the whistle and they walk off the field and that's the game. And like you would feel so ripped off by like I just paid money and you just stood in the field and you did nothing. And we have the opportunity in the, in the same way that Playing a sport is a great opportunity. Playing um, and seeing that game is a great opportunity. We have an opportunity to be a part of the work of God. Um, that it's not just for us to come together, come to church, have our nice little huddle, and then that's it. Um, that we have the opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of God and the work that he is doing here. Um, and as we pursue Christ first and, and love others, um, our lives make sense in that perspective and in that paradigm.